It says, in those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? He asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said to set them also before them. So they ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets. Think about that. Seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away, immediately got into the boat with his disciples, and came to the region of Damanutha. And so today in our study, we're going to see a few things that stand out about the Lord, and then we'll close with a few things, I think, that we can bring to application. Here we see the Lord feeding 4,000 men plus women and children, according to Matthew 15, 38. And so um, the first thing we see, if I can kind of make this point with you, is uh, how Jesus is sovereign for the multitude. Okay, um, we're living in a, in, a, in a world where I think, in, in one sense, it's okay because men are vessels, but oftentimes we look to men as the answer to our problems. And so, you know, we look to kings and presidents and prime ministers and rulers and cabinets, and we're really uh, praying and hoping there's an optimism that it'll make a difference. And that's okay. Like I said before, men can be instruments in the hand of God. But primarily, uh, we need to look to God. And we need to know that Jesus can make a difference in the world that we live in. It's not too big for him. And Jesus can make a difference in our world. I believe the answer for the world is for the church to get right. That's my position. I don't look to politicians. I look to Christians. And, you know, uh, God can use them, and I pray for them. And I'm actually a little hopeful with some of the things that are going on, to be honest with you. But when I really search my heart, uh, it's, it's really me looking in the mirror. It's like, Manny, how is your relationship with God? How are you with your family? How are you at home? How are you in your prayer life, in your devotional life? And not just, you know, reading it, but heeding it. Not just learning it, but living it. You see, the church is to be a witness to the world. And when the church is a witness, and when they're like Jesus, they can win the world to Christ. That's how the world's going to get saved. We're not going to do it through legislation. We're not going to do it by winning an argument. We're going to be doing it by winning souls to Christ when we develop that character of Christ. And so that's why it's so cool, to guys, to be honest with you, as we're going through the, the Gospels, to look at the life of Jesus and to see, first of all, look at how he is sovereign. Look at the way that he fed all these people. You know, we already read in Mark chapter 6 about Jesus feeding 5,000 men plus women and children. And if that weren't enough, here Jesus does it again. This time it's 4,000 men 
plus women and children. Now, some people will tell you, well, that means it's 12,000 or 20,000. And you know what? That's, we just don't know. Um, sometimes you have a gathering like this. We've got, you know, a certain amount of men and women, primarily equal. You know, you add up the kids. I, I don't know. Be careful if people tell you it's 12,000, 20,000, 25,000. The Bible doesn't say. It says 4,000 men plus women and children. Either way, though, that's a lot of guys, right? And so we see that he fed them, think about it, from seven loaves and a few fish. And so by the time this whole thing, when you look at this story, is all said and done, they were stuffed, the Bible says, and there were tons of leftovers. We read that there again. If you would, look at verse 8. So they ate and were filled. That Greek word talks about being stuffed. And they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Have you guys ever gone to like a party and, or whatever and they didn't give you enough food? Have you guys ever done that? And you know, you eat and you're like, oh, this is good. And you, you want to get more, but you don't want to look like a, like a pig, you know? But, <laughs> you know, you go home and as soon as you walk through the door, you're like, man, I'm hungry. And, you know, the wife says, well, didn't you eat? And he says, yeah, kind of, you know? <laughs> Here, it wasn't like that. Um, they ate, they were filled and there were baskets of leftover food after it was all done. And there's so much we can say about this miracle. Um, Christ, the creator cook, um, the great shepherd, chef, if you think about him making the food. I mean, seriously, I mean, we've talked about this many times, the, how, how good it must have been. Seriously, and I just can't overemphasize that, how excellent these fish tacos must have tasted because they came from him or fish tortas, whatever you want to say about it. Good tacos, um, good God, though, huh? That's really the, the bottom line. Why did he do this? Well, we're going to see there's a few reasons. We're going to get to the main point towards the end, but one reason he did this is found there in verse 2. He said, I have compassion on the multitude. I, I have compassion you know, he, he knew that if he sent them away without them eating, we don't know if they hadn't eaten for three days. Maybe they brought a lunch or maybe they ate the first two days. All I know is they were with Jesus for three days. Now it's the third day. And he says, if I send them home now, they might not make it. And so out of his compassion, he becomes the, the cook for them, right? And, you know, I think it's important for us to know that about our Lord, you know, I mean, make no mistake about it, Jesus is not heartless, neither is he indifferent. He is not ignorant or blind to your daily needs. He is a compassionate God who cares. And in his perfect timing, you know, for, his, for, for this situation, it was on the third day, which means a lot in the Bible, but on the third day, you know, he would save the day. And let me just encourage you, Quick, with, with a side note like that, you know, I, I know in a congregation like this, a lot of you are going through heavy trials, you know, and sometimes when we go through those trials, I'll be the first to say, Lord, I can't go another day like this. I, I can't go another hour. I can't go another minute. It's been really tough lately, Lord, and, um, you know, uh, the, the enemy just wants to make you quit and think that your God doesn't exist or care or is compassionate but we know as we read the scriptures that that's not the case that god knows exactly what you're going through he he hears every hunger pain 
that we have. He sees every tear that, that falls and even the ones that don't. Even though, you know, we're, we're dying inside and we think, I can't go on. I want you to know that on the third day, in God's perfect timing, you watch. He will save the day. So don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Know this about your God, that he cares and he has compassion for the multitudes. You know, we can glean that from this text. There's so many things I think we can take from this. Uh, I even remember one teacher who emphasized the fact that Jesus didn't waste the leftovers. How many of you guys throw away food when you're done? You're like, oh, I know, I'm done with this. No leftovers. I want something fresh. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but Americans throw away $165 billion of food every single year. Think about that. Imagine how many people we could feed with that. You know, and so not to get weird or anything, but to be honest with you, Jesus wouldn't do that. Jesus said, hey, gather up the fragments. They gathered them up, right? And so, you know, for us, uh, we learn about his compassion. We learn about the way that he is a good steward. Um, the good tacos, not wasting leftovers. But here's the thing. I, I, would, I would rob you if I didn't give you the main point of this. And the main point is who he is. He is sovereign. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the one that they prophesied of in the Old Testament, that he would come and he would save us from our sins. You know, the main point of all this is who can this be that he can feed to the full, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people with just seven loaves and a few fish. Is he, and I've told you guys a million times, I hope you don't get upset with me, but he's not just a random rabbi, passing prophet, typical teacher. He's not a mere man. This has got to be God. It must be the Messiah. And that's, that's the main point. You know, when the Lord does these miracles and, you know, these signs, uh, John calls them signs, we got to see it for what it is. I mean, thank God for his compassion. Thank God the tacos tasted good. You know, thank God he teaches us about being a good steward, you know, gather up the fragments and things like that. There are great principles in the story, but the main point is who he is. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And that, that changes our life, you know. A lot of you guys here, you're struggling with your life. You're struggling with your actions your lack of them, your prayerlessness. Uh, some of you guys have probably had a really bad week because I can see some of your faces and you look pretty upset. And so I'm like, Laura, what's going on? And they're like, man, this has been a bad week, Manny. I kind of don't feel like being here. I don't feel worthy or whatever the case is. And, and, you know, thank God that even though we're great sinners, we have a great Savior. You're accepted in the beloved. You're washed in white as snow. Let that encourage you to go and, and be the man, be the, the woman Christ wants you to be. You know, when you place your faith in Jesus, it's not a blind faith. You're not one of those, they you know they accuse us of being people who check our brains in at the door. No, we are, we are a people of faith that is founded on fact. I mean, he fulfilled all these prophecies. Look at what he did. Who else did that? No offense. I don't want to offend anybody here. But, you know, Muhammad never did that. Buddha never did that. You know, Krishna never did that. 
You know, uh, the, the rabbis of Judaism, I mean, they, they never did that. Jesus stands head and shoulders above all else. And in looking at this, we see how he is sovereign for the multitude. And it proves who he is. Secondly, in our text today, we see not only sovereign for the multitude, but secondly, he's saddened by the Pharisees. Because look what happens in verse 11. It says, Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. You know, and we've dealt with these guys, the Pharisees, uh, throughout the, the Gospels. What a heartbreaking story they had. You know, I'll bet you almost anything when the Pharisees first started off, man, that they were, like, sincere. They, they go back to about 150 B.C. and the scribes and the sages, they rose because they saw uh, something that was going on in the church or in the believers of those day and that was that they were kind of like just like the world, you know. They weren't living their life for God, uh, filled and flooded with idols. And so they said, we're going we're gonna to form a new group uh, rising from the scribes and sages, and we're going to call ourselves the Pharisees, and the word means separated ones. And we're going to separate ourselves from the world and those sinners, and we're going to separate ourselves to God. And, you know, maybe initially, a lot of times these movements like this, they begin with pure motives, but eventually the Pharisees fell. E eventually these disciples deteriorated. They eventually became men who were hungry for position and power and money and materialism. Eventually, they became the self-righteous religious leaders who had separated themselves to God, supposedly, but here, God was standing in their presence and they were rejecting Him. And so, it's kind of funny because right after the Lord fed the 5,000, you read John chapter 6, right after, they said, well, give us a sign. It's like, hold on, didn't I just give you a sign? And then here we see the same thing. Even though he crosses over to Dalmanutha, it's kind of funny the way that the Bible lays it out. Right after that miracle, they say, give us a sign. You know, send us a sign from heaven. Let me just say this to you guys. Jesus is the sign from heaven. I know some of you here, you would be all excited, huh? What if fire fell from heaven right now? Lord, you know, I want to be like Elijah and bring fire down. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, I don't know. I don't think so. I'd rather have Jesus. <laughs> and, and so here they are, and they're asking him for a, a sign. You know, there's lessons for us in this. There's lessons, you guys, very practical. You know, you find yourself in need. We have a sovereign Savior who is compassionate and caring, and on the third day, he will meet your need. You watch how God works, and then... We go through life, and I don't know if you guys ever doubt. Uh, I know that I, I don't know, I guess a lot of people struggle with that. And they, they want a sign. Lord, give me a sign, you know, that this is true. Um, let me share this with you. If that ever comes into your heart, you're asking God for a sign, 
Um, God doesn't do miracles to dazzle the people. He doesn't. Why, why did he feed the thousands? Because they were hungry. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, it proves who he is, but that's not why he fed the thousands. As a matter of fact, some people say Jesus never did a miracle for himself. The only time he did a miracle for himself was one time when he was going with Peter. He said, hey, let's get our taxes. And so they got a fish and there was money in there. But, you know, the Lord wouldn't do miracles to dazzle the people then, and neither will he do it now. Not only that, if you're a self-righteous Pharisee, God's not going to hear your prayers. So here's these self-righteous Pharisees doubting closing their eyes to the signs they've already seen, and they're asking him for more. You know, Jesus knew their heart wasn't in the right place. And I also want to say this, though. You know, um, we know, when you see someone doing something like that, you might think God's mad. God's mad. And I don't know, maybe he is. I'm not God. I don't know everything about what's going on inside of his heart. But I'll tell you what, reading this right here, I think it's more like God is sad. Look, look there again. They asked for the sign. And in verse 12, he sighed deeply in his spirit. You know, just um, kind of bombed, I think, in one sense. This is not a superficial sigh. This is deep in his spirit. It's a, it's a sorrowful sigh rooted in, in an element of disappointment, you know. I mean, you guys, whatever you do, don't come to that place of, you know, becoming a sign seeker. You know, there are signs of the times. Read that in Matthew 13, Matthew 24, and, and Mark 13, Luke 21. And there are signs of the times. Those are things that are, are, are evident. God has already written them in his word. But we don't need anything else. We don't necessarily need that. And I, and I, I, I will say, though, that God does give us signs um, if we're looking, if we're listening. But we can't demand them. We mustn't come to a place where we, we demand signs. I honestly believe that there are a lot of Christians who are looking for signs, demanding signs. They want fire to fall from the sky. They want to see something powerful happen. Or maybe they want to see uh, a message, uh, kind of like a mystical type of Christian. All I can say is this. If you're demanding a sign from God then it's not going to happen. Reason being, we already have sufficient signs. Now, God is gracious, but he's not our genie. You know, I, I just want to encourage you, if you're looking for signs, uh, we have sufficient signs. Open your eyes to the creation. I mean, who made all these things? To me, that's a sign. Open your eyes to the revelation of his word, right? I mean, don't forget the creation. Don't forget this revelation and not only that, this sign of all signs is the resurrection. huh? When Jesus died and rose again from the dead. That, that's the sign that Jesus said seals the deal. Uh, he said in John Matthew 12, 39-40, that an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You know, I know this. I know this. One day, I will be in heaven. I know this. I know this because I know what Jesus has done is true. 
I mean, when we just reason, Isaiah says, come, let us reason. When we reason it all through and we see the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus and how they would transfer the sins of the, the man on the animal, they would sacrifice him, all shadows of the substance, Jesus, one day would die for our sins on the cross. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. He said the third day that he would have that power to do that. And what that would do, that would prove to us that there is the one who has conquered the coffin. He's gutted the grave. He's defeated death. When we die, we won't die. We will live. And we know this. This is the sign. You know, the other guys, again, not to offend anybody, but they died and they stayed dead. Not Jesus. And so that's all the sign that I need. You know, I know for me, as some of you here, and we've talked about this before, but when I got saved, it was just a supernatural experience that I had in my life. Undeniable. And if that's all I ever had, then that's all I ever need. You know, when it comes to signs, I, I look at creation, I look at revelation, I look at resurrection, I look at my salvation, and I don't need anything else. Beware that you don't become one of those Christians looking for signs, demanding signs, powerful or mystical. No, we have everything we need. And Jesus said this, that an evil, an adulterous generation demands signs. So let that not be us. You know, sometimes the atheists, they'll, they'll say stuff like that, you know. They want a sign. If God is real, then let him strike me with lightning right now. That's what they say, you know. And they, they shake their fists at God and they, they try to defy him. And, you know, let me just say this. If you know someone who's ever done that, you know, if God doesn't uh, strike them with lightning at their request, it doesn't prove there's no God. It just proves he's merciful, Right? And he's patient with us. And uh, bottom line is, here's the thing, man. He doesn't want people to go to hell. He doesn't. You know, when people reject God and the overwhelming evidence that's already been given to them, you know, it's not God mad necessarily or, you know, God glad that I'm going to send them to hell. It's, it's God sad. I think of that passage in Ezekiel 33:11. As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? You know, so, I don't know, reading our story, our text today, I see, number one, how Jesus is sovereign for the multitude. And he, you know, just feeds them. Man, it's so amazing with uh, such a small portion of food. Secondly, how he's saddened by the Pharisees and anyone who would reject him. He's not glad to send him to hell. He's not mad per se. He's just just and holy. And it breaks his heart. You know, where will you spend eternity? Have you made that decision truly? Have you repented of your sin or your unbelief? And have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? If you haven't, I pray that today would be the day that you would make that decision. You know, without the Lord, if you're here today without the Lord, I can't even begin to imagine how difficult life must be for you because life will always digress without Jesus. 
But God doesn't want to leave you there. God wants to lift you up as you're lying in, in the gutter or your own despair or your own you know, uncertainty. And he wants to give you a peace that surpasses understanding. I mean, as Christians, you guys aren't afraid to die, right? You're not afraid to die. You know, um, Paul said for me to, to, to die is gain, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So we have to know these things. We have to settle them in our hearts. You know, and, and you know, if you're a Christian, you should be different now. Have you guys ever heard that saying, a faith that doesn't change my behavior will never change my destiny? Well, you're like, well, I prayed the prayer, I went forward, and you know, as a pastor, here's the thing that's always a challenge for us, you guys. We don't want to give anyone, you know, make them doubt their salvation if they're a Christian. Now, that's a hard place to be. But neither do we want to give anyone a false assurance if they're not. I'll have to stand before God one day and give an account. So what do you do? You just always challenge the people to do what? Just like the Bible says, examine their life. Examine your life. Not just, well, that day I did that and that day I did that. No, your life. Is it different? Is it truly you? And James talks about it. You know, faith without works is, is dead. What? That's a dead faith. There needs, to be have, there needs to have that works in our life. You know, so, you know, we got to make sure, I pray that we would not make God sad by asking signs or even by being doomed. Sovereign for the multitude, saddened by the Pharisees. And then the third thing about Jesus is interesting. He's surprised by the disciples. It says, and he left them and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. And then he charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, What's up? No, sorry. He said, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, 12. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So he said to them, how is it that you do not understand? You know, and... You know, looking at this section, it's interesting how it all starts. Jesus charges his disciples regarding the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. Now, that word charge is not found frequently in the Bible. As a matter of fact, it's the only time it's found in the Gospel of Mark. And this word charge is more than a typical warning. It's a, it's a formal warning. In this case, it has to do with the leaven of these particular groups, uh, the leaven of Herod and the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, as a general rule, leaven in the Bible is a picture predominantly of sin. 
And the thing about sin, like leaven, I don't know if any of you here ever bake, or you guys use that yeast, right? It just takes a little leaven, right? And it leavens the whole lump. It penetrates and it affects everything. And that's a real accurate assessment of what sin does when we allow it into our life. So Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? That was when the Corinthian church, they were okay, they were tolerating, they were even glorying in the fact that they accepted sexually immoral men in the church. And so, you know, that, that sin, uh, that little leaven, it, it penetrates the whole the whole dough, the whole congregation. And we see it in Corinthians, uh, that sexual sin, and we'll call it the hedonism. But it's interesting because if you go over to Galatians uh, chapter 5, verse 9, we see the same thing. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And you want to know what that sin was? Not hedonism. In that case, now it's legalism. Oh, we got to add some rules and regulations onto the gospel. And God says, that's leaven. That's leaven, and if you allow the leaven in, it will leaven the whole lump. And, and so the Lord charges them and us to beware of such things uh, beyond your typical warning. It's a, a very formal warning. And, and, and yet at the same time, just not just sin in general, but I think when you take this in context, to me it really is this particular warning of not being a sign seeker not being a, a person who demands signs from God, you know, before you get your life right, before you believe. You guys, the Lord has already shown us everything we need to, to see. and We've heard everything we need to hear. We know everything we need to know. There is nothing left. There is nothing we need to see or hear or know or to wait for in order to, to rise up and be the Christians he's called us to be. You know, here the Pharisees, interesting, they're seeking a sign. You guys remember that guy Herod? If you studied the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus had been arrested, you know, Pontius Pilate examined him. He said, I don't see no flaw. Then they found out he was from a certain region. And so Pontius Pilate sent him over to Herod. He said, oh, you know, I'm going to wash this responsibility off of my hands, send him to Herod. And then when he went to Herod, do you guys remember the whole story there? Herod was so excited to see him, the Bible says. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him, because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. And so here's the Pharisees, you know, looking for a sign, a miracle, and there's Herod, same heart, I just want to see a miracle. And the Lord, as they get into the boat, right after this whole thing goes down, the context is, watch out for that type of leaven. You be a Christian, walks by faith, not by sight. You walk by faith, not by feelings. You walk by convictions, not emotions. You know your Lord, you know what He's done, He's already shown you how much he loves you. So don't be discouraged. Don't doubt. Don't look for him to write something in the sky. It's already written on his hands. Your name is engraved on his hands. He bears you on his heart as the high priest, on his shoulders. You're the apple of his eye. 
He loves you. And you're going through trials right now. And, you know, sometimes we think, Lord, I, I don't know. I don't get it. And God says, I'm working in you. But, Lord, they're the one that's, you know, all messed up. I know, but you are too. And there are things that I'm doing inside of you that are deeper that, that, that I'm preparing you for the next, the next step. And so in looking at this right here, the Lord says, watch out for that type of leaven. And, and what do the disciples do? They reason among themselves, and says there in verse 16, because we ain't got no bread. Hey, watch out for the leaven. Jesus is getting all spiritual, right? And they're like, oh man, we forgot to get bread. You know, that's what they're thinking. So you see how they're knuckleheads? Do you guys see that? Isn't there hope for us? There is hope for us, man. You know, here's the thing. When the Lord brings up the leaven, all they can think about is bread. And I don't know if this is the, the case or not, but I will tell you this. Uh, have you ever noticed that for some people, it's all about food? Have you guys ever noticed that? For some people, food is their love language. Have you guys noticed that? I mean, people, I, I, I'll be the first to admit, man, I, I do love food. I, I just, I, sometimes I wish, God, why did you give me taste buds? You know, if I didn't have taste buds and I could just eat it and don't think about it, but, you know, I love food. I love pizza. We're talking agape love here, man. And um, you guys probably know this about me, but I love pizza. And uh, I mean, it just, I'm always thinking about it. I got to be honest with you. Someone asked me to roll out the round tables from the back. And I'm thinking pizza, right? <laughs> Someone asked me to play dominoes. I'm thinking pizza. You know, I don't know if you guys knew this or not. Caesar is mentioned 24 times in the Bible. And every time I hear Caesar, I think the guy's probably short, you know, little Caesars. <laughs> ask, ask my family. I think we had pizza three times this week, man. You know, so a lot of times, um, you know, when we look at the world that we live in, unfortunately, I think these guys are just like me. You know, they're, they're thinking about food, and, uh, and, and yet Jesus is talking about something so much more. Uh, he's talking actually about sin. Now, when Jesus hears their response, when I read this right here, and I don't know if you get the same effect, but it's almost like he can't believe it. Are you kidding me? It's like, are you serious? I mean, you're, you're worrying that you don't have enough bread? Haven't you learned yet that I will always provide for you? I mean, don't you see with those eyes? I mean, you, you can still, they videotaped it, I'm sure, in their mind, all those people eating, right? I mean, don't you hear with those ears? I'm sure there were many comments how awesome the food was after that was all said and done, the thank yous. Are you not mindful of the meals that I've made? But apparently they weren't. Their hearts were still hard. It was a matter of the heart, and they hadn't come to that place of faith and totally trusting God yet. Let me just say this. When it comes to the, the food and the physical needs, so to speak, you don't even have to think twice about supper. But you do have to think twice about sin. That's what he's kind of saying right here. And we need to come to that place of understanding these things, you know. And, and again, we know that God knows everything. Uh, he knew in advance what they were going to say to him. So I'm not trying to make some type of theological statement limiting God and his omniscience. But 
it was almost like when this all happened, if I can just say it this way, God was tripping out on them. He kind of was, you know. I mean, I, I think he, you know, you've seen all this, you've heard all this, you know all this, and yet you're worried about bread and, and your body, you're concerned about provision. And, and God, you know, I pray that you guys, that's done by now, that you've come to that place and reading the Bible, living life, that that's no longer a distraction for you. You know, he will always provide for my needs. And the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8, all I really need is food and clothing. Yeah, but I want a, a big house. Well, that's cool. That's between you and the Lord, but you better follow him. I will always provide for your needs. Well, what type of needs? Needs so that you can do my will, right? God will always provide. I love the way that when Jacob came to the end of his life, in Genesis chapter 48, verse 15, he described the Lord as the God who had fed him all his life. And so prayerfully, you guys, we don't worry about food and clothing. We don't worry about God supplying our needs. We need to come to that place of total trust. And really, I think of spiritual maturity, right? I mean, not ignoring the work of God in our life. You know, don't, if I could say it this way, and not to sound legalistic and not to place burdens on you, but Jesus did say, come to me and carry my yoke, take my yoke. There is a yoke when you walk with Christ. He does have certain expectations from us. He does. Doesn't change his love whether or not you fulfill them or, or not. Doesn't mean you're necessarily not saved if you don't you know, dot every I and cross every T. But he does have certain expectations from us. And what he wants us to do, I believe, is to, is to look up, you guys, to grow up. Come on. Come on, how long have you been a Christian now? How, how, long you, how long have you been a Christian now? How many Bible studies have you heard? How many worship songs have you sung? I mean, how many things has God shown us? And it's like we still don't see you guys, it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. These guys right here, and the Lord is so cool. He doesn't give up on us. I'm not trying to beat you up. I do want to encourage you, though, to rise up and, and live the life that he's called you to live. And so let's close with, the, with six things uh, that we see in our text today. Just in case you're here, and maybe you already got all these written down, but if you're taking notes... Number one, in our story, we see Jesus was sovereign for the multitude. He was sovereign for the multitude, you know, and so, man, that proves who he was, right? Secondly, Jesus was saddened by the sign seekers. And so we're the multitude. We have needs. God will meet them. Don't worry. You know, we got to make sure we're not one of those Pharisees or Herod-type people. Jesus said, beware of that leaven. You know, thirdly, Jesus was surprised by the disciples. And that was him. Now look at us as we bring it into application. Number four, I want to encourage you guys today to receive the revelation. You know, in all the miracles that he did, the words and works of the Messiah, show who he is. There's no one like Jesus. 
There is no one like Jesus. You guys know that? Okay, let's follow him. Okay, let that revelation find a home in your heart of who he is. Secondly, trust his provision. Trust his provision. He will give you bread and even pizza. Isn't that cool? You know, I, I, well, the other day we were at Chili's and I always get a soup and salad and bread. You know, and the girls, all oh, you want two slices? I'm all, no, five. The five slices, man. <laughs> and then I just, I just say, God, you're so good to us. Even this church, if I could just say, thank you, Lord, for the way that he has provided for us. And thank you. Many of you, you have that in your heart, the conviction to give to God. And I just thank God for that. He... You know, wherever we've gone, we started in the park, we went to that building, that building, that classroom, all that kind of stuff. You know, whenever we took those steps of faith, we couldn't really afford it. But then God, boom, he just blessed and has provided and then, then some. So that's who God is. And I want to encourage you guys to know that. If you don't have a lot, you're like, well, I don't have a lot though, Manny. You know, I have an old car and a, and a small place. You know what? Then I would just say to you, continue to follow the Lord, but man, whatever you do, you know, don't be discontent with that because maybe that's the niche in the world that God wants you to have because there are, there's a mansion in heaven. I don't know. I don't know, but just don't get caught up in those things. His provision is there, the revelation of who he is, and then, and then six, Live up to his expectations. And again, you might look at that and you're thinking, oh man, he's you know, you know, getting legalistic and, and stuff. No, I'm not, man. I, I just, I've learned in life, you know, to uh, not beat people up and not to push people around. But like a, a good coach would, he has certain expectations of his players and he'll nudge them and he'll press them and he'll challenge them, you know, to, to give that, that hustle, to give that effort, to live that life. I, I think that's where we got to be, and we need that sometimes. I know I need that. And so, you know, no more excuses. We've seen, we've heard, we know, especially you guys here in this church. And so God says uh, it's time to, to grow up and be the church. And I think that the way that we, we grow up is really by, by looking up to the Lord.